Are you going backward, trying to relate to God by obeying the law or set of rules and regulations? There's a much better way to live, and you'll hear about it next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Glad to have you with us and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is knee-deep in his study of Hebrews and we're taking our time here in the early part of chapter 9 so we consider how the tabernacle is a picture of Christ. Even the furniture contained in it points to Jesus. It speaks volumes about how we're not to go back to the Old Covenant like the Hebrews were doing. Here's Pastor Ed to elaborate. Take your Bibles and open them to two places today, Hebrews chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 25. We're in that second part of our series of Jesus and the Tabernacle, because we're in this study in the book of Hebrews that it was written to a group of Jewish Christians that are not satisfied with their faith in Jesus Christ. They're not satisfied in the new covenant but rather they're being tempted to go backwards to the old covenant. Now in our previous studies, and I was looking, this is our 39th study in the book of Hebrews. So in our previous studies, we've looked at the covenants and we've seen, the, and, seen and identified the old covenant that's being referred to in Hebrews is the Mosaic covenant. The covenant that came through Moses from Mount Sinai, the law. And so pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 9 of Hebrews as we come to the introduction of the sanctuary or the tabernacle. So it says, Then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And so we're spending time looking at the tabernacle. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word tabernacle and write next to it tent. Because the tabernacle was the temporary place of worship that God instructed the children of Israel to build just after they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. And it was given, they were given very precise, specific instructions on how to build it. And so before we even get into Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to want to understand the tabernacle. We're going to look at it piece by piece and see how the pieces of the tabernacle point toward Jesus Christ. That in the building of the tabernacle, even the tabernacle was speaking of the coming Messiah, which the significance is this. You've got a group of people that have faith in Jesus Christ, but they want to go backwards to the Old Covenant, which if they did go backwards to the Old Covenant, they would only be pointed toward Jesus Christ. And he's trying to point out to them as he's walking through the importance of clinging to Jesus, how important it is not to go backwards. Now, of course, at the time that Hebrews was written in the first century, it, the temple was still 
in existence. It wasn't the tabernacle anymore. It was the temple. And the temple worship was everything in the tabernacle and more and grander. And they, they are wanting to go backwards because of the pressures and the temptations and all that's going on in their life. And we've been studying through, encouraged ourselves not to go backwards, encouraged ourselves to look. So the next few weeks are going to be really cool Bible studies as we tie together. Not only will we learn about the tabernacle and the furniture and how it points to Jesus Christ, but one other thing I want you to get out of this series is how the Bible is one unit, how it's all tied together. Like, for example, the grace of God. The grace of God is not just a new covenant concept. God is a God of grace, and it's all over the Bible. The idea of his unmerited, unearned favor, it's right, it begins right in the book of Genesis chapter 1 with creation. God is a God of grace. It's not just a new covenant concept, but rather it is an attribute of God himself. So come back to Exodus 25, and let's begin to see the first three pieces that are being built within the tabernacle. Pick up with me in verse 8 of Exodus 25. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Let's pause there for a moment and remember that they were to build the tabernacle exactly as God gave to them. What God said, they were to follow exactly. Now, whether you are or not, we know something about God that as he reveals himself. God is into details. It's very important that you recognize that God is into details. And when he reveals details or gives you detailed instruction, your response in mind is to respond to the details. And what that means is you don't have permission, I don't have permission to deviate from God's direction. If he says something, we're to follow it exactly. Now, I'm not saying that something that a pastor told you or a priest told you or someone, you, we are to follow God's instructions specifically and to understand that when he says something, he means it. So that when he tells them, as we see in a moment, in verse 10, you shall make an ark of acacia wood. So notice verse 10. In verse 10 it says, they shall make an ark of acacia wood. They weren't to choose any other kind of wood. It's not something you just like, well, you know, we can get a deal on six things of, you know, six sheets of plywood, so we don't need the acacia wood. No, God was very specific that they were to use acacia wood, as we'll see in a moment. And I think it's important for us to recognize that we're to be men and women of the details, the details of God's word, and to follow them in the details that God gave them. We're not to deviate. We're not to make it up as we go. So here's the first piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. Make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out, you shall overlay it. Shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, and the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. 
and you shall put into the ark the testimony. You can circle that word testimony and write next to it law. You're supposed to put the law in the ark of which I will give you. So the first piece of furniture is a box. And in this box, they were to put in a copy of the law. It was to be made out of acacia wood and overlaid with gold and have a molding around it with some hooks there so that they can make this, have the sticks. They would put through the rings and they could carry it around without touching it. And inside, eventually there'd be three items, but it starts with the law. But remember, you Bible students know later on, they put in the Ark of the Covenant a jar of manna and Aaron's rod. But for now, it's just the law. And the law would be in the box or in the ark. Now, wood in the Bible is often a type of humanity. And I find that interesting. Wood is a type of humanity. Sometimes it's a, a type of bad humanity, but in general, it just speaks of man. And our God, Jesus Christ, was 100% man. And this acacia wood represents his manhood, his humanity. But notice it was overlaid with gold. Gold is often a picture and a type in the Bible of deity and royalty. And so you see the two coming together right here in the tabernacle. You have humanity overlaid with deity, which you Bible students know in Philippians, we find that God in human flesh, Jesus Christ, he would come down and take the form of a human, the place of a servant. And far back before Messiah ever comes, thousands of years before he comes, already God is giving a picture and a type. Now, we're going to use the word typology a few times in our Bible study today, so let me define it for you. When you hear the word typology, it speaks of a picture of spiritual reality. So when you hear a type, it's a picture of spiritual reality, something that's pointing to something else in its reality. So the acacia wood overlaid in gold is our first picture. Now, acacia wood was a harder, darker wood that would last a long time and was able to take a beating, was able to be beat up. Now, in a very real way, Jesus Christ took the beating for you and for me. We called that the scourging as he was beaten before he was placed on a wooden cross. Acacia wood grew in dry, arid climates. The Bible describes Messiah this way in Isaiah 53, verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. Not only that, acacia wood was a, more of a bush. In the bush, on the acacia limbs were thorns. And that makes a lot of sense as we know that Jesus Christ had a crown of thorns placed around his head. Now, understand that the children of Israel don't understand all of this typology at the beginning. Just like you as a new believer, you don't understand everything at the beginning. Things are unfolded and you learn over time. Don't be so discouraged that when you sit through a Bible study, maybe this is your first time in this church and we're going through a verse-by-verse -verse Bible study and you're just kind of reading it and you're like, I don't know and I don't understand. I've never heard that before. Don't be discouraged by that. Because as you sit under regular Bible teaching, one of the things that will happen is you will learn. 
You will learn what God has to say in his word. You will understand what the Bible says. Not only will you understand what it says, but the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what it means, and not only what it means, but what it means for you. That's called application. See, the book is not just for, like, to be a student and get a bunch of head knowledge. God gave us the Bible so that, so that we could live according to his desires. The, God gave us the Bible, first of all, so we could get to know him. And the more that we get to know him, we begin to live according to his precepts. So the Bible is a very powerful book. And so don't be discouraged. They don't know all the pictures of this. But it's all being planted into their minds because by the time we get to Hebrews, they get it. This stuff would make sense to them. They have embraced Messiah. By the time we get a few thousand years later, as he's writing to Jewish believers who have embraced their Messiah, they would know. They would understand. Acacia wood also has a very unique property that even the Bedouins today, the ones that are wanderers out in the, Sin in the desert, in the Sinai desert there, the Bedouins would pierce the bush and out of the wood would come a gum resin. And they would take that gum resin and they used it as a healing balm on cuts and bruises and pain. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. You see, already in the very first piece of furniture, we have glimpses and types of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. It gets better. Notice in verse 17, they need to make a lid for the box. And it says in verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it with one piece with the mercy seat. By the way, a cherub is a angel. And when you have a plural in the Hebrew and they've carried it over into the English, when you have a plural, you would add the letters I-M and that's why it says cherubim. So whenever you see that in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, it's referring to a plural. And so we understand that there's actually two cherubs, one on either side, the cherubim. It says in verse 20 that they shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. And the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony of which I will give you. And there I'll meet with you. And I will speak with you from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So you have the box, and the lid of the box is called the mercy seat. Notice it is to have two angels looking at each other. You can see the picture of what it may have looked like. One on each end, their wing, in, their, they face each other and their wings are outstretched, covering the mercy seat, covering the ark, and they were to put this on top of the Ten Commandments, on top of the testimony. That's very important. The mercy seat was above the law. I want you to notice this. Because long before the new covenant came, the mercy seat 
was always above the law. Now, some people like to make the law above mercy, but mercy always triumphs over the law. And in the very beginning of the worship extension, as God was giving instruction to worship, he said, put the law in the box, but make sure the mercy seat is on top. Now, this was the first piece of furniture that they were instructed to be built. And it was on the mercy seat that God says, I'll meet you there and I'll speak to you. It was on the mercy seat that the priest once a year would bring the blood of the offering. There were three offerings. One for, one, the priest would offer one for himself, one for the people, and then there was the scapegoat. The one that was offered for the nation, for the people, he would take that blood and go into the Holy of Holies and he would spread it on the mercy seat. This is what's being referred to. The box with the law, the angels on top, and it was at the mercy seat that God said, I will meet you there and I will speak to you there. Now, you know, in the Bible, the only time we read of God meeting at a specific location was at this particular box on a regular basis for worship. It was this box. It was the mercy seat that was God's solution to the gulf between man and himself. It was the place where their failures were covered for one more year. As you read through Leviticus chapter 16, you'll have more details of this Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. But the blood basically was sprinkled on the mercy seat so that the law inside that once condemned was covered by blood. Condemnation was covered by blood. Now don't miss this. Because God is saying, I will meet with you, I will speak with you, and I will give you He's the initiator. God has always been the initiator. His relationship to you and to me is not based on our performance, on our good deeds, on how good of a believer we might be, how much we've read the Bible, how long we've gone to church, whether we were raised a Christian. That's not, our relationship is not based on our performance, to which you should say, amen, because your performance isn't always all that good. Because really, what can we do but fail? Not only can we fail, that's what we do. We fail. We could even say it this way. We have all failed. There isn't one among us that hasn't failed God in some way. On some day. It could have been on your way to church today. Somebody cut you off and you, I don't know what you did, but I don't even want to talk about it. We're a church right now. <laughs> but we've all failed. I don't know that we would disagree with that. Now what you call failure, the Bible calls sin. So that we can read in the scriptures and agree with God when he says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is exempt from that. We are unable to relate to God in our own energy, our own efforts, our own good deeds. We have failed him. And so, you, you know, in the old covenant, they were to meet God at the mercy seat. That's where he dealt with sin. It was the sacrifice of the blood that was spread. Every year it was, it was put out on the mercy seat. That's where God was. But fast forward today. Christianity is not based on what man can do because all we can do is stumble around in the darkness. Christianity is not a religion. 
And it's unfortunate that somewhere along in history, someone codified and made Christianity a religion. And when I use that word, what I mean by that is that Christianity has become a list of things to do. And if you do them, then somehow God will honor all that you've done. But you realize by now that that's the exact opposite of what God's taught. God will not honor what you've done. God will honor what his son Jesus Christ has done. And that the best place for you and me is to be found hidden in Christ. That's the safest place on the planet Earth. You know, religion has wrecked people. Do you know, people can be very religious and not know God personally. People can be very active spiritually, what they define as spiritually, and not know God. See, Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a person. We've got to go all the way back to Jesus Christ when he said, follow me. That's what he said. He said that to you and to me. Follow me. Follow me. I believe an example of religion blinding people can be found in the Roman Catholic Church. In the Roman Catholic Church, the extension of worship is given to the people religiously. And the reason why I choose Roman Catholicism is because it's close to, it's close to what the Bible teaches, but not quite. I have many, many friends and family that are a part of Roman Catholicism even right now. Some of you listening in, you might be there and your ears are perking up. It's important to understand that that is a system of belief. It's a religion. It's an empty religion that's close, but not quite. And you don't want to, when it comes to your soul, you don't want to be close and not quite. You want to be right. And Jesus made it very simple. Come unto him, all you weary and heavy laden, and he'll give you rest. That he is the only life, the only truth, and the only way. But, but here's what I mean in a very simplistic way. Within Roman Catholicism, they say this. This is how you get there. You go through the sacraments, and you need to follow the sacraments. And if you follow the sacraments, then just maybe you'll make it. That's a summary. And the sacraments start even before you even know what you're doing by being baptized as a baby. And then all the way to the end, you kind of go through the various sacraments. And then people are very concerned that before they have their last breath, that they have last rites. Now, why is that such a significant thing? Last rites. Why do you need a man to come in and give you last rites? Why is that so important? Because it's part of the system. If you don't follow the system, then you don't get in. And I believe today God would have me declare to you, everyone listening in on the radio all around the country, God would want you to know, if you weren't baptized as a baby and you, didn't, you don't receive last rites, you can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that you can come to him directly, that you do not need to go through a man. And you say, Ed, Ed, I mean, there's a lot of different systems out there, a lot of different religions. Why did you pick Roman Catholicism? Well, because a lot of people are still stuck in that, thinking that they're close to Jesus. And they have great sincerity. And sincerity is not what is going to get you into heaven. Only repentance of your sin and surrender to Jesus Christ will get you there. Now that bears repeating. Only by faith and repentance will the door to heaven swing open to us. 
Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of Hebrews right now on abounding grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at aboundinggraceradio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts. Our pick of the month is Five-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. As Christians, we sometimes encounter objections about the Bible, and maybe you're left wondering how to answer them, or where do you look? This wonderful book offers you 365 quick answers to key questions. I think you'll find it super helpful the next time you come across a question you're not sure how to answer, and we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And we want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses. That's our prayer and heart's desire. And if you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we'd sure appreciate it. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or again, call 877-30-GRACE. Join us each day on Abounding Grace as we go and grow through a study in Hebrews with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.